Greetings and welcome to another episode of CritCast. This is episode eight, Learning Different Warbands. And here I am with a very important and I'd like to say quite big guest, Aman. So hello, Aman. How are you? I'm doing well, John. Thanks for having me. No worries. It's a pleasure. Like I've been meaning to have you on for a while, but um, I hope you're quite well because I know it's we're both quite in a cold environment, although yours was far colder than mine. <laughs> <Shall we say? laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was crazy. We had this, some historic uh, winter storm in Texas. And, you know, we're near the equator, so it's generally we're used to warm things. And it was really cold, knocked down our power grid. Um, a buddy of mine's fresh t- fish tank froze and his fish inside it. Wow. So crazy stuff. But uh, luckily yeah. for my family and some of my friends, we were fine. Uh, there were some people that did suffer. So uh, just hoping that we can recover as a community. Yeah. I mean, like Texas seems like a quite strong strongly lit place so hopefully everything does go well but it's good to have you on today because i think you're one of the definitely most experienced uh players in the community because this is a quite difficult subject and yeah i needed a highly skilled player and i think you fit the bill quite well but in case no one was aware of you what was your history because obviously you've been playing warhammer underworlds for a while but what got you into warhammer in general and what's your like wargaming history yeah. So I'm actually really glad I get to answer this because I don't really get to talk about it on some of the content I create. Um, usually I'm asking other people this question. So uh, <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. Um, for me, oh, it's my pleasure. Um, I started playing tabletop miniature games at the age of 10. Uh, I was walking around through the mall with a friend and I saw we saw a games workshop. We walked in and uh, his dad bought him some stuff, but I was with him and his family. So I didn't get to get anything that day. And then next day I dragged my parents over and it was third edition of 40K. Oh, wow. Uh, so it was a long time ago and um, ended up buying some Blood Angels because red is my favorite color. So it just made sense. And then from there, it just kind of never stopped. I mean, there, you know, you, you as you grow older and, you know, high school and university and your job, you kind of have lull periods and then you have high intensity periods. Um, yeah. I think the most fond memories I have before Underworlds was Warhammer Fantasy. In the world that was, I played Dark Elves, and uh, uh, I just I just loved the aesthetic. And um, yeah. they ended up being really good at the time because they had this thing called a reverse ward save. I don't know if you remember that. I th- but I know like the the Hydra had its crazy like regeneration. Save. Oh no, th- yeah, I know what you talk about. I remember because my friend used it a lot against me. Yeah, I remember yeah. <laughs> you're talking about yeah. Essentially, if anything, more than strength six, which is like mostly a lot of good things in the game, tries to wound your your leader. If you roll a die and anything but a six, you just ignore the wound. Um, yeah, you wanted to like hit them with like basically strength three or two stuff, but at that point you're yeah. wounding the like that character generally on fives or sixes. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of a cheese thing, but I didn't I didn't realize that because it was my first foray into fantasy, but. Uh, Ended up creating a very strong community. I ran a league a couple times, and um, it was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, I really miss the days where you can play like three, two and a half hour games in one day. Oh, I know, um, I know what you mean. Like, just so, spend a whole Saturday playing all these games. Yeah, it was the best. And uh, everyone in my store kind of like got really serious about fantasy. So everyone had their own army, and they would never play any other faction. So like, there was one Tomb Kings guy, one you know Dark Elf guy, one High Elf guy, and it was fun. And we kind of like repped our factions. Um, and then when Age of Sigmar happened, I kind of was a little um, 
I took a step back because it just seemed like a lot of changes at the time. And I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. And as, as, as time was progressing and as you get older, you know, I started working a lot. Um, you know, you have, you build relationships and, um, they take up time. And so for me, I was looking for a game that was quick, but still scratch that competitive itch. Cause I, I love like my store has always been competitive. So it's just been ingrained in my mind since I was 10. Um, you know, if, after you get beat up on a lot by like 20 and 30 year olds, you know, you start to, you have to, you play on hard mode. And so I was looking to kind of scratch that itch. And I almost started looking outside of Games Workshop and then Underworlds was announced. Now I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is like what I've been asking for. And so played a couple demo games. It was Reverse versus Steel Hearts and uh, never looked back. Um, there was a lull period again because I transitioned to another city and a new job. Mm-hmm. But uh, around the time of the release of Magors and Farstriders, I was right back into it and uh, haven't stopped since. Um, and that includes creating content. So uh, to answer the second part of your question, um, I originally started a blog called Hexes and Warbands. It was actually inspired by yours. Um, oh. And oh. yeah, I mean, because at the time I was trying to learn and then yours came up a lot. It was you and, and Giblin, uh, Catafrain Relic. Oh, yes. Yeah. His outside. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I'm going to, I I started like doing well in my local scene and I was like, I think I can do what these guys do. And I have a passion for writing as well. So um, decided to, to do that. Ended up, you know, doing pretty well. Started a podcast with Jonathan Davis, who's also in Texas, uh, called Path to Glory. And then after like two years of doing Path to Glory, we were like, hey, it just makes sense to combine our blogs because he had a blog as well called uh, mm. Well of Power. And so now everything's on Path to Glory podcast.com, including links to Path to Glory, the actual podcast as well. So. Um, a little bit of moving around, but you know, luckily, a lot of my re, you know our content consumers have stayed with us, and so just been really oh, yeah, blessed good. with this opportunity to meet so many cool people along the way. Oh no, yeah, that's a cool thing. Like, um, like it still surprises me the impact like I have had on the game, but like, because like when you go to these events, you get everyone. Like, I- I'm sure you must get a lot as well. Like, people just coming up saying like, "Oh, you know, I've read all your content, blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff," and it's just. It's weird because I don't see it, but I'm sure you get the same or like even more attention at tournaments as well. The it's actually a really humbling experience, right? Because you're you're just writing words and hoping people look at them or or speaking into a microphone, and hoping people listen, and then 100%. you'll like you'll go to an event and they'll say, oh, "Are you a mon?" And I'll say, "Yeah," and they'll be like, "Oh, dude, I love your content." And I'm like, "It's the most." like weird thing like i know like i'm very appreciative and i and i love it but it's also like it's also kind of funny because it's like i'm just a normal guy who loves to play games and talk about games you know and then yeah, these people are like I, no go ahead oh no because like people think we kind of like some of us just write for we want attention but like we're generally just writing to help people so it's really like even though we can see how far our content is reaching it still doesn't make a difference until people start going up to you like stopping you at events or tournaments and going oh like or even gaming clubs going oh i love your stuff like it's it's helped me so much or like oh you know i really enjoyed this and that and it's like yeah it's weird it's not kind of like you don't really expect to hear it if that makes sense yeah no totally i think that the highlight for me was like someone asked to take a picture with me and i was thinking like why would you why do you want a picture with me um you know like i'm just again i'm just some normal dude 
Uh, but you know, he was like, I, I'm gonna can't wait to show my friends. You know, I, I you know finally met you. We talk about your podcast, and I was like, oh, thank you so much. And I remember it was at the ATC event, and I was talking to Davey and Jonathan, who are on my team. And Davey and I think it was like a just a group conversation at dinner, and they were like, just use that as motivation. You know, don't let it get to your head. Just keep creating great content. Um, and and I've stuck by that. You know, uh, you know, you can sometimes people can think that just because you have a platform. You know, you you think that you're you're right all the time, but you know I'm always the first to admit when I'm wrong. And I think just the important thing is like this is my opinion. You may disagree, but I'm never going to discount your opinion as well. Uh, and I think that's really worked well for me uh, and Jonathan as well. So it's 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 just been a really exciting ride, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Oh no, it's definitely like you you guys' content have been great, and I think that's that's a good thing a lot of people miss because especially when it's just written format in general, people kind of miss, like you're just giving your opinion. You're not invalidating others. You're just saying how you think something is. You're not trying to say what they've like, what they think is wrong. It's really easy to get mixed up, but yeah, it's like, I get, I have my motivation is pretty much the same. Like what means it, what it means the most to me is when I've like punched, pumped out content and people go like, um, Oh, it helped me get my friends into this or like, you know, I play with my kids and because of this, I'm going to buy this because, you know, you said it'll be good, like to uh, easy to learn and play with. And that's what I want to play with my kids. And that kind of stuff help keeps me going, especially, you know, you know, sometimes we don't get the most positive feedback as content creators. So it's nice to know we're still having like that positive effect, even though it may not always feel that way. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if, if you always approach all of your content with a place of uh, giving, whether it's, information or advice or um just sharing an experience that you had or a game that you had then um i think for the most part people will appreciate that and it just comes down to um you know you gotta ignore some of the there'll always be haters no matter what you do so you just gotta ignore that yeah and then just power through and and go with the positive right yeah but i think like that that's a good segue into our topic today because like the weirdest thing is, you know, sometimes people are quite secretive with tech, uh, but, you know, we're quite open, especially as like, well, you know, not if it's just before a tournament, because obviously we need to keep some secrets safe, but after we're quite open and telling us, like telling people how we played and what we were looking for and what we wanted to do. But one thing I've seen a lot, which hasn't been tackled recently, well, tackled really, is how you can go about playing different warbands, namely successfully. And I'm not going like, oh, after listening to your, our podcast, you're going to go out and just start winning tournaments over your warband. No, but you can start playing competently with them instead of just going, oh, you know, I tried this warband once. I, I didn't do well. I'm just going to go back to what I usually play. Because I think one of the greatest strengths of Warhammer Underworlds is that it's really easy in in one way to jump from different like warbands. Because if you were playing like Age of Sigma or 40k, it can be quite difficult and a, a big investment jumping from another army to another, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And, and I think it's really easy in any Warhammer game to have a favorite and just kind of have yeah. an ownership over uh, an army, a, a squad, a faction, a, a warband, and, you know, repping that warband for years to come. And, and I think that mentality definitely has a place in Warhammer Underworlds, but I don't know if it's necessarily as consistent when compared to other game systems, because, you know, I still play Blood Angels and 40k to this day, but, um, or, or casually now, not competitive, but still, you know, like, I've been collecting them for, for a long time. But then, 
in Underworld, it's it's not always going to be the case because the game evolves at a more rapid pace. But it's also because, um, you know, you you can't. They're not going to release the same warband again. You know. Yeah, you're not going to get like a Scritch Spike Clorm two point uh, or something like that because the yeah. game, as you said, with rotation and stuff, it's always changing. And it's not like oh, Power Creep, the newer warbands are better. It's just newer warbands will have more support compared to the older warbands, unless we're like playing relic format. So we're not trying to say like warband loyalty loyalty is bad. I think it's really good. It's you could argue it's even like a dying art in some cases. But I think it's like you're missing a lot out of Warhammer Underworlds if you never branch out into different warbands because it it's difficult. It, it is really difficult jumping from one, one thing you're really ca- um, comfortable with to a new thing. But it, it's it, it basically requires you to have solid understanding of your fundamentals for Warhammer Underworlds. You can't just go, like, even though me and Aman may make it look easy, um, it wasn't as easy for us. Like for me, for example, I basically, I started the game with, what do you call them? Iron Skulls Boys. I used Iron Skulls Boys to learn how to play Underworld. So I played them for like three months. Then once I was comfortable with them, I was like, you know, I pushed them to as far as I'll go. I moved on to Seal Hearts Champions, then took them to a Grand Clash. And then I basically played Spike Claw Swarms for eight months, uh, the Skaven for eight months. And then I kind of just started branching out during that time. But so like it, you know, we're not saying you know you need to like as soon as you start playing just start alternating. It's like you have to have the core fundamentals for the game. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Is so it's easy to get comfortable in gaming um, and actually anything you do. Um, and and I really like what you said about how you 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 kind of practiced with one warband, moved on to another one, and then practiced to another warband you know, got really attached to it, found your groove, um, and then kind of dedicated yourself to mastering them for a while. And then after you feel like you got to that point, moving to another warband. And I think that's the most, that's the optimal way to, to play this game is because there's so many benefits to to branching out and playing multiple warbands. Um, and number one is that exposure, right? If you're able to understand how to play a warband, then you will also automatically understand how to beat that warband because you are yeah, now I think that's yeah. go ahead well like that's the hugest part for me the way i started learning all these matchups because i was like okay i know i'm having trouble with this warband the best way i can learn how to beat it is to play it so i know its strengths and weaknesses yes absolutely and 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 with that you you start to learn some of the the tricks too right like for example one of the one of one mechanic from Zarbag's gets, for example, is Scurry, right? And I think Scurry can win you a game if you set it up correctly. From and and a lot of that happens before the game even starts and deploying your warband and the objectives and making sure that if you move one, that chain reaction of Scurries happens in an optimal manner. And um, I've seen players who've 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 butchered that, and it just comes down to experience, right? And so that's a great way to understand how that scary mechanic works. And then once you get good at it, you'll start picking it out when you match up against the warband and you'll be like, okay, well, they're probably going to scurry there, there, there. How can I stop that scurry? And you know, you're not always going to get it right, but the fact that you can make as educated and as informed of a guess that you can, I think that helps in playing games because I'll give you an example. I played a lot of Thunder Traveteers 
um, mm. a, a lot. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I ended up playing against them in a grand clash one time. I was playing as Thorns of the Briar Queen. Yeah. And sometimes I think out loud as anyone does. And I was like, well, you're probably going for what armor? So how do I avoid, you know, you getting a shot off with your two guys who have cleave? And, uh, you know, after the game, and I kind of just like said things. I was like, hmm, I think you might be going for this. And, and I was just, again, just talking to myself, but he had overheard me. And then he was like, you know, what was really frustrating was that you knew exactly what I was trying to do every activation. And I couldn't yeah, do anything like about it. Yeah, it's like when you were trying to, because yeah, I played them as well, and it's like when you're against them, you go, okay, I've like, you can you can kind of pick up after a few activations and go, okay, they're kind of playing the same uh, Thundrix deck, so he's trying to, he's probably going to try and score like what armor and get the hence. So what I'll do is like I'll immediately kill uh, Iron Hail, so he's I've locked him out of one objective, and then I'll go for what do you call him? Um, I forgot his name. The guy with the gun. <laughs> well, they all have guns. You know, Lund. the one with cleave. Lund. I'll get rid of the die Lund. And now the only way you can score one armor is by inspiring your boss. And now you have to like make, I've slowed down your deck. It's like that kind of thing. Yeah. So, but I, I would only pick that up because I played them and I go, ah, I'll pick these objectives because they're really easy for my warband to score. And then when I'm playing against them, I go, oh, he's trying to score that. So I need to stop him scoring that because that's what I would do. Yeah. Or make it so inefficient for him that even when he does score it, it kind of falls right into what you're wanting him to do so that you can react, 100%. right? Yeah, so it's setting like, up a bait for Iron Hail and get the hence to where he exposes his Iron Hail. He maybe get one glory, but then you might kill a fighter and score something else. Yeah, because I did a funny thing in the Thundrix mirror against uh, Jamie Giblin. So he was like, I could tell he was going for War Armor, so I kept pushing uh, Lund one hex out of range. So he finally charged in because he realized I was not going to let him just stand and shoot me. Uh, and then I was kind of baiting him to shoot anyway. So then he rolled a crit and he was like, finally, I'm, I'm going to score this. And I was like, I need to roll my reaction. And then I rebounded him. And I only rebounded him for one damage. Mm -hmm. And I was actually rebounding him just to, I was hoping to pull him out of position because I was like, Thundrix build like a net. And he was hoping to pull me in but I didn't want to go into his net. So not only did I pull him out, I stopped him scoring, get the uh, war armor and also like headshot. headshot and then yeah. I just basically uh, massacred the warband because of that. Obviously that's relying on rebound, but I knew he wanted to pull me in because if I went in, all of a sudden he would have scored war armor, then he would have inspired someone and then his whole warband would have just pounced on me because even though they're movement two, with all that range, they can just immediately capitalize on any lone fighter. Yeah. And, and and that story right there is pretty cool because in a way, like, and mirror matches are so interesting. And we talk about that on Path to Glory a lot where it's, it's like whoever kind of makes the first mistake kind of has a disadvantage or whoever gets the worst draw. And back then, maybe in Nightfall, we didn't have the 6-6 six, six rule. So draws were a little bit more reliable, but um, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, the fact that it's so hard to roll a crit sometimes, and then you deny it. <laughs> You know, and you took yeah. a chance, you know, and you take a risk. And that's one thing I like is you got to take risks in this game for things to pan yes. out. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of people like to play very comfortably. And I think that actually ties in directly to jumping over to different warbands because as, 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 as often as you keep breaking that comfortability shell that you that protective layer that you put around yourself and your hobby, you're going to get better. You know, whether oh, yeah, that's 100%. painting or just playing warbands, like keep trying other things and eventually 
you'll get better at those things and then you'll just become better overall. Yeah, because I think the biggest thing is when you're trying to do something new, the biggest hurdle is like getting over losing because all of a sudden you'll be like really comfortable constantly winning with this same warband and then you go, I tried something new and I lost. Like I lost really hard and you know what? I'm just going to go back or you keep losing. And like, it's like, this is why this topic is really difficult because it's basically building on fundamentals. The most where I learn is from my losses. Like, I know it's quite easy to overlook the fact that, you know, I've won a lot of stuff, but I've also lost a lot of stuff because like generally my win race, my win percentage overall of like winning a tournament out of all the tournaments I've been, is like 55, 57%. So like, I, I'm not like, like, cause like Jay Claire is like always telling me how he's got like an 80% win ratio. And I'm like, that's good. You know, that's good for you, Jay. I'm, I'm living on a happy 55. But that's the thing. It's like, I lost and then I go, okay, this is what I did wrong with this warband. I was either, like one thing I found is difficult is you go, you were playing the new warband, how you played your old warband, even though they didn't mix or you were going for the wrong thing in terms of like objectives and stuff. And I was like, oh, and there was some simple stuff. I was like, I just didn't know how to play the warband. I was just playing it incorrectly. And you have to be able to go, yeah, I lost, you know, I even went to a tournament. I didn't, I didn't win it. You know, I might've placed like second or third or even like come last, but you have to go like, you have to be able to process that loss and learn from what lost you the game. Cause as you said, like, as Amon said, it's like, you have to take risks, but did you take the risk at the wrong time or did you take no risks or was your deck too safe? Or like, did you just pick the wrong cards? It, it's difficult, but you basically just have to be able to analyze your losses and get comfortable with losing. Yeah. Yeah. And if anyone's gotten comfortable with losing, um, <laughs> I think I, I can maybe be in competition for that because I, I've lost some really big games in my, I guess, Warhammer Underworld's career. And I, but like, it's really easy to like lose motivation and to kind of like get, get down on yourself. But for me, like the big, best way that I found to get over my losses is to, as you mentioned, process them, maybe talk about them to a friend or two that you trust and who will give you positive feedback. And then from there, just play more games. And winning games, again, helps you boost that confidence. And it doesn't necessarily have to be winning as well. I mean, you know, if you get if you get fifth in a local event, your goal should just be, I want to do better than fifth. Yeah. Um, and then keep beating those goals. And eventually, um, given that, you know, luck, hard work and practice, uh, you, you'll, you'll do it. And I know that kind of sounds like a little obvious, and it's not my intention if that's the case, but like... You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of fundamentals again. Like, put in the work, and it'll you'll be rewarded. Yeah, because that we're we're gonna sound like broken records, but that's kind of the whole episode. So you can tune out now. No, but it's like we'll go into it more. But that's the basic thing. Like, I I don't think I talked about this to anyone. But my biggest loss was because when I started playing during Shades, I was like at the point where I'm winning all these store tournaments. I want to win a Grand Clash. That's my next checklist. And I got really close in the London GT. I got second. Um, but that loss cut me deep because I was playing against a friend and I had always beaten this guy. But like every time we'd played, he'd gotten better and better because I was not only like he was just improving, but I was telling him what I did wrong, kind of telling him how I played. But I was like, you know, I want to see this guy do better. He's got the energy and passion. And then I'd like did mad prep work for this game, which I'd never done before because it's against Garrick's Reavers. So I did like, I analyzed this play style. I'm like mapped up all the matchups, like what cards, how to react. 
and then it all failed for me. <laughs> like everything just went wrong. You you name it, it went wrong. Um, and it like cut me really deep because I was like, you know, I wanted to win, like trying something new. I've done all this work and then it messed up. And then my friend who watched the game, he was like, ah, oh, you know, this this sucks. Like it really sucks. Like you played out of your mind and it, it all went wrong. But the thing is, after you've cooled down a bit and like, you know, process things, when you look back on this game, you realize that was a really good game. It's just he played better. And like that's unfortunately what happens. And like he was right, you know, after like we chatted for a bit and like Aman said, we just chilled out, talked and like just relaxed. And then after I was like, yeah, you know what? He did play better than me. I just got too focused on one thing and yeah, he did everything right. But that that's kind of the thing because especially when you're coming from a, like if you've gone from a warband, like I'm always winning with this warband. I'm trying something new. I should beat this person. Why haven't I beaten them? And you just have to process it that it's not always going to be the same. Not like I went into that matchup like I'm going to win, but I was like, I need to win. But it that's if that makes sense, that's my kind of comparison to that. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and sometimes one thing about processing losses and and you know, we may be going on a tangent here, but like sometimes you just get unlucky. Um yeah. like, you know, one time I played a game against a great opponent. Uh, but he was playing Malog and I had was trying to score get the hence in my hand and it would have led to a bunch of cards being scored and I fired uh, four shots plus a rapid reload shot into a Malog in the first activation of a game and he blocked every single one or I missed you know three fury into one block generally is in your favor and uh, that just stalled my deck and then he killed iron hail and then he killed everything else and you know i lost and it was really frustrating because it's just like i'm playing this right um i'm protecting my fighter but the dice aren't rolling my way but then at the same time it's just like you also play a dice based game you know you can't get too mad at it uh because at one point like luck can just carry the day for you or ruin your day for you and you just have to take it in stride because as long as you played the best that you can outside of the dice, uh, which I'm sure that there's something you can always improve upon, then you can walk away with your head high. Yeah. It's like, you just have to take things step by step. So like a good advice, like another good comparison is when I used Godsworn Hunt. So at the time I was playing Thundrix a lot because I was like, well, prepping for a Grand Clash, but I was still trying to win with other warbands. So I only had a few left and I was using Godsworn Hunt. Took them to a tournament. Like a lot of competitive people were going there. I thought this is a perfect challenge for this to see how it does and i i got smashed like i i one game i scored everything in my deck 18 glory my opponent just scored 25 and wow. like yeah it was the worst tournament i've i've never actually gone to a tournament and come dead last and i almost came to like i've never gone to a tournament and lost every game and i lost every game with that tournament at that tournament with the god's one hunt and after that like like I'd done everything right, played all the right plays with just, you know, dice and my glory seedling was low because at the time, you know, that's what you could do with Godsworn. So um, I had to take a break from using the Godsworn hunt because I was like, I'm in a rut. I'm losing with this warband. And like, I know I can make it work because they're, they're not, they're playing outside of my comfort zone because it's all aggro based, but I need to just take a break a bit and, you know, play other warbands and then I'll come back to them, which is what I did. Like you have to know, like especially on a, a losing streak, sometimes the best thing you can do with the new warband is just take a break. Go back to either 
playing what you were playing before or even playing another warband because the worst thing you can do when you're trying to learn a new warband is keep keep kind of encouraging yourself to dig this hole and forcing yourself to go like, I don't get it. I'm, I'm doing more. I'm learning more. I'm doing everything with this warband. I can play my main warband really well, but this new warband, I just, I just can't crack it. So it it kind of goes against keep learning, but then also you need to learn how to take a break from a, war, a new warband as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's probably a good segue into kind of talking about, you know, I guess the purpose of, of, uh, of coming on here is like the seg, like, you know, how we approach playing multiple warbands, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, it's, it's so difficult because you, you basically have to know your fundamentals. Cause if you're really good with the game and, and we're, we're talking about like, oh, you know, you don't just roll dice, roll. you know, your matchups inside and out, you know, the strengths of the warband you're playing. You kind of don't need too much practice because your general practice will actually be in learning how the meta is you're playing in and knowing the strengths of what you're using. So you need to like, it's it's building the basics in terms of when you look at a warband, you need to identify what is your strongest fighter, who what are your weakest fighters, uh, what can support your play style, and then how you can synergize cards in that as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it does. Um, and I think like, like one of the best example I can give you is like, I played Sepulchral Guard and uh, I was like, you know, my hope was to win a local event with them. And when I did it, um, like later down the line, I decided to do it with Thorns of the Briar Queen. And um, the idea was that like, because I had already learned the fundamentals through playing the Sepulchral Guard, I just applied those fundamentals to Thorns of the Briar Queen, you know, holding objectives yeah. at the end phase. Uh, and this was before uh, objective surges as well. So, um, <laughs> you know, at the, at the so, time at least, yeah, at the time it was like a, a, a different strategy altogether. And so I just took that, applied it, and then I looked at the differences. And obviously the Thorns have better fighters and better cards. And so for me, it was like, oh, this is like guard, but easier. Uh how can I, you know, take advantage of the things that are different? Um, and, you know, and keep in mind of the fact that my fighters can't come back. Uh, so I did that and ended up working out. Um, but I wouldn't have won that event if I hadn't played the guard before. And so because I decided to try something new, it ended up allowing me to better grasp something in the future by, you know, I guess playing multiple warbands. No, yeah, that makes sense. Cause like, um, uh... A good branching point to this is if you're trying to play a new warband, if you're if you find it really difficult going into something new, it's good to play something that's similar to what you're playing. For example, like if you're playing Garrick's Reavers, then you go into Magor's Fiends because you go, you know, they're slightly slower, but they do more consistent damage and they're more durable. So I'm playing like Garrick's but less riskier. Or how what's another good one from more recent seasons? Oh, it's like you, you started with Scarce World Hunt. So you wanted to charge because they charge and inspire. And then you go, okay, I like playing the warband. I know when to engage and all of that. I think I'll go into Ripper Snarlfangs because they're similar in terms of, well, they're both aggro warbands. They're fast, but they're not similar in terms of construction. But you now know when to charge in with the right guy because you know Scathe is your main damage dealer. And you know, when you look at the Rippers, Ripper's your main damage dealer. It, it's stuff like that. So I think that's a really good point to bring because... Uh, with some warband, it's really easy to tell which is oh, that's like 
really easy to transition from. So, for example, yeah, Sepulchral Guard to Thorns of the Briar Queen is a really good one. Um, so it can be even be simple as picking of warbands that are the same size. Because, yeah, there's a lot of warbands now that are of a similar size, if that makes sense. Yeah, like if you like three fighter warbands, then you can jump to another three fighter warband. You know, like maybe Steel Hearts to Curse Breakers or Far Striders to Curse Breakers is probably a better segue. Yeah. And then, like in Dire Chasm now, we've got like a bunch of four fighter warbands, right? So, um, power maybe four. the power of four, exactly. So, you know, maybe if you like purifiers, um, and you know, you kind of like the, the ability to flex around a lot, and then you're like, oh, the vampires look really cool, they're coming out in April. Uh, I'm going to go try them. And then you're like, you take a look at all the fighters and you kind of see what their roles are. Um, and I've, with the purifiers, it's a little bit different because they kind of have their whole, like, I'm really good at one thing. Yes. Um, same as the guardians, right? So that's probably a better example. But the fundamental still applies because you have four pieces and you have to make the most out of those four pieces. And I'm sure when the Crimson Court come out, they'll have their own gimmicks per fighter and unique abilities. And it's to take advantage of that. And in some matchups, you know, like you can, you can lose uh, Sanella early because you know you might use her as bait because you know that Banahanar and Alien will do most of the damage. But then in other matchups, you might just be like, I really need a ranged fighter to do ping damage. Um, so maybe don't put Sanella up as bait. Maybe keep her in the back and uh, maybe play more aggressive. It, it's and 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 by playing as many games as you can. I think that's the most important way to understand those fundamentals because then when the Crimson Court come out, you already have that under the bag. Now it's just fine-tuning your process and your and your play style to match the current warband. And over the course of maybe one to ten games, you've done that, and now you're good to go. Yeah, it's like um, a good thing for remembering as a general rule of thumb for Underworlds is warbands of particular sizes generally have a fixed play style. Like, for example... Oh, well, fixed characteristics, that makes sense. Like a six or seven fighter warband, or even more, is generally going to be quite fragile in terms of your your wound pool is going to be lower per fighter, but they're going to have like generally more swarmy abilities. Like they'll be able to get objectives really fast or they'll be able to like swarm the opponent. Whereas elite warbands are usually quite slow and you have to play around. Like they're, they're generally going to be tough. If they're free fighter warband, they're generally all have four wounds. So you need to go it's the opposite spectrum and then like four fighter warbands are more flexible but they usually have their own strengths and weaknesses as well so like that's a good way of kind of gauging a warband just by looking at them because yeah. obviously you need to look at their fighter cards but if you start remembering like you've got horde warbands well swarm warbands horde warbands whatever which are like you know six to seven fighters and then you've got your elite warbands which are four and three and then you've got like five in the middle and a good um, thing I like to point out with five like four is the optimum size, I'd say, for a warband, but five is the most interesting because five fighter warbands generally have one fighter you have to keep, you can't keep safe. With a four fighter warband, you can generally on your board deploy, deploy four fighters quite safely. But with a five fighter warband, you're going to have one sticking out your opponent can reach, which is kind of moot in the current season with the speed. But it's like, for example, with Thundrix Profiteers, you're generally going to have one guy you can't keep safe, which is usually be Allenson. You just let mm -hmm. them die. Or if you're playing Scaife's Wild Hunt, you're usually going to get Lighaean just to you know sit up front and die. But then you can use that as bait. So when I was playing Spike Call Swarm, I knew I could only keep four fighters safe. And the fifth fighter I always used that my opponent could reach would always be 
um, Lurking Skaven because he started on two dodge. And that's basically what I adopt whenever I play a five fighter warband because I can go, which four fighters do I want to keep safe? And which fifth fighter do I want to give to my opponent, which I'm happy, well, not happy with losing, but happy with them engaging. And that's something you can carry over. As I said, I picked that from Skaven, but it's something you can carry over just by looking at how many fighters a warband has. Yeah. Yeah, definitely so. I mean, and, and it's it's really interesting because there are going to be warbands that break the mold as well. Like, you know, Ripa Snarfangs are an elite warband, but they're also really fast, which generally isn't the case for, you know, yes. yeah, three 100%. fighter warbands. But then they then they probably have a deficiency somewhere else. And so in their case, it's probably damage output or accuracy aside from their leader. Um, yes. And so that that's something to consider as well. You know, like if you play Ripa's, you're going to understand that the Inspire completely hinges and pivots around your leader. But then like players will often not inspire your warband because they by avoiding your leader. And so if you play them, then you'll figure out ways to like still make your other fighters good so that they can do a lot of the heavy lifting as well. Um, or in other cases, like a lot of people will just kill Ripa off the bat and they don't care if they inspire your other fighters. Well then, okay, if, if that's the case and you're going to use him as bait or you're just going to try to get him in to swing early, then you can build your entire deck around the other two fighters and build a redundancy throughout to where all the cards can be scored regardless of who is alive and who is taken out of action. And I think that's really cool because um, for a while, like I always tried to protect Ripa and like make him like Voltron him and make him so great. But then later on, I realized it's like, well, if I just put these cards in my deck and I take the cards that revolve around my leader to score them out, I actually have a better, more flexible deck that doesn't revolve around one fighter. Um, and that's really exciting because you can also learn that lesson in, for example, another three-fighter warband, which is um, uh, Stormsire's Cursebreakers, right? Like, generally, everything revives or revolves around Cursebreaker, but there will be some games where he, like, gets killed in the first couple activations, and you have to win with Rassus and Amis. And how you do that is, I think, very fascinating and, and a fun puzzle to unlock as well. Yeah, because it really challenges you because you have to, like, sometimes it'll be building against the norm. And I think that's what surprises people a lot. Like, uh, you've mentioned tons of good examples. One good example, like, I can remember is, so when I was, pl- well, I still play Lady Harold's Mournflight. When I took them to the Grand Clash, my first match was against a mirror match. And this dude thought, uh, because at the time everyone was just playing Lady Howes the same way, it's just hold objectives. So he thought I would do exactly the same thing. And then in the first round, we kind of mirrored our activations. Then all of a sudden, from round two onwards, because I had Lady Harrow inspired, I went through his warband, just killed everyone. And he was like, wow, I can't run from you. And you're just in my face, just killing me. And I was like, yeah, uh, because I realized, you know, they can be quite aggressive. People just went with the more consistent thing. But I got that from like, playing other warbands and going, I can still be really consistent with the Mournflight, but then do tons of aggro. Like they have all these aggro tools that no one is using. Like they've got um, a reaction card that lets them fight again. Like that was the main thing if their attack fails, because all of a sudden then like Lady Harrow could just mow through people. And when she inspires, she goes to free damage. So I was like, I only need one upgrade to get her to four damage. And then I just went through his warband. And then the second game, he just couldn't adapt. He tried to like longboard me to keep me away, but then he gave me all the objectives. So then I outscored him and then the final round just went for him again. But I wouldn't have 
like that that was his problem because he had told me after the game he had played against tons of other Mournflight and they had all played the same way. But when I tried to play that way, I'd like identified the weaknesses and go and went, I'll go the more riskier route, but this way it gives the, the build I'm using more power and also no one's running it the same way. So I have this element of surprise. So it's, but as I said, I wouldn't have uh, done that if I hadn't played against the same warband and used my experiences to low, like identify what the weakness and strength for the warband that people hadn't recognized. Yeah. I mean, what's really cool is you, you realized in your meta that you were going to play a lot of mirror matches. And so because you've been playing this warband so much, you're like, I know the strengths, I know the weaknesses. So if I'm going to play a lot of mirror matches or have the, the, the possibility of doing so, how do I make sure I win the mirror? And you did that and you made those changes. And then you may have like maybe made your matchups slightly like better or worse against other matchups. But because you anticipated the mirror, you didn't have to worry about those games. And like yeah. you wouldn't have never done that if you hadn't, you know, play the new warband and given it the reps it deserved to figure out the strengths and weaknesses. And now, even if you're not playing a mirror match and you play against Lady Harrows, you now know they have this ability to either score passively, turn the switch on, and kind of play a hybrid game, and now you know how to like combat it. And you would have yeah. never done that if you hadn't played multiple warbands. Yeah, exactly. And I think like it's another good point to find in like you need to mo- find your reason why you want to play multiple warbands because uh, as we said before, we're not saying you have to. It's a re- like one point is if you want to get the most out of your collection, that's a really good way. Um another thing is you want to use like obviously if, if you've been painted them and you want to try them out, that's fine. And but like one of the biggest strengths I can say is it's refreshing. Like using new warbands is refreshing because all of a sudden, especially you've been sticking to one warband for a while, it's like you're you're breaking the you're breaking the mold, so you're doing something different. But also, like we've highlighted it before, but it really helps with you understanding the game and understanding how you face against different warbands. Cause like when during Shade Spy and you could argue even during Night Vault. You didn't really need to play every warband because there was only like 16 to 8 warbands that you needed to memorize. So if you had enough friends who played them, you could have gone, okay, you know, I, I know that warband pretty well. But now we're on um, Diachasm. We're on like, we're like 20. We're going to be in the 40s or something. Yeah, something like that. So it, the best way to memorize a matchup, I find, uh, especially if you're having trouble against a warband, is to play it. Like, because you will learn so much from just playing that warband yeah and, and find ways to motivate you right like when i when i started this journey of you know what we call the underworlds challenge i think it was because you had made a post that you had won with uh, a warband and you have now one with a total of x number of warbands and i think like jay uh posted something like yeah well you know you're still behind me and then like and then like a, a week later like michael carlin had posted that he had won with X number of warbands. And I was like, yo, if everyone else is doing this, I'm going to do it too. Um, and luckily at the time when I started, I had already had three with three different warbands. And so I was just like, let's put the pedal to the metal and, and, and try to try to make a friendly, you know, challenge and competition with, with some of the other content creators out there. And it was just like, there was no, there was like no really, like the only thing you were winning for was bragging rights. Right. Um, oh, hundred percent. But it was just fun because it was like, not only are you trying to challenge yourself as a player, but you're also trying to do it at a faster pace than maybe you should have because, again, you're competing against other people. And I got really close. I think you ended up 
it was either you or Jay who ended up winning the competition, but at the time it was just Night Vault. So there were just 16 warbands, and I had done 14 when one of you had ended up completing the 16. Um, yeah, because that was me. So because the thing, Jay started it, so Jay had this massive head start because he, he is like, the epitome of someone who never uses the same warband. Once he's won a warband, he just puts them in the cabinet and never uses them again, and mm-hmm. he'll just move on to something else. So he had always tried to go like, "Oh, John, you're doing like you're doing amazingly well with Skaven. You've literally like you're like you're dominating every tournament you go to with Skaven. Why don't you try something new?" And he wasn't telling me just like, "Oh, you need to stop playing Skaven." He was like, "You know, it would really help you as a player if you just started playing different warbands." And I. Like when I practice, I will play different warbands, but I never took them competitively because I was like, I wasn't confident outside of using my Skaven. And I was like, I want to master the Skaven. I just like, I'll retire them once I won a Grand Clash. And then once I had won a Grand Clash, Jay was like, by that point, I'd already won with the Fast Striders and Steelheart's Champion. So I had like a massive hill to climb because Jay was like, the first person to win with those Shadespire warbands was David Smee, and he did them all painted. Then Jay caught up, and then he was like massively in the lead for Nightfall. And then he challenged me, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, I'll do it." Um, and then I, what made me actually do it more was the so I'd won a Grand Clash, yeah, two or two by that time, and I needed another reason to keep playing. But also, <clears throat> there was a new restricted list. Well, the restricted list was introduced, so the game was basically rebalanced, and I felt that's what made it more comfortable for me to play other warbands because I was like. Now, if I was like playing Sepulchral Guard, I could go, they have a chance against like Spike Claw Swarm or even like Magor's Fiends. Now it won't be like a terrible matchup. But um, yeah, in the end, I managed to do it because uh, I was stuck on God's Swan Hunt for like a, a month or two. And then I managed to do it and win it. Um, and then we kind of gave up with Beast Grave because, well, you know what happened with the world. But that was my motivation, not because I was. It was that friendly motivation keeping us going because it was like, there was no prizes for whoever got first. It was, it was literally just bragging rights. But I was using it as a way for me to keep myself going, to keep me engaged with the game and to basically test myself to see if I was good enough to keep playing. And if if I wasn't just a one-hit pony, you know, because I'd done so much with the Skaven, I was like, is that all I'm good with, if that makes sense? Yeah. And, you know, there's always going to be a warband that you love and that you kind of kind of figure it out and break through with. Um, and if you want to stick around and play them for a while, absolutely. But I think I think the hallmark of any good player in this game is that fact that they can be successful with multiple warbands. And, um, you know, whether it's, you know, and, and there are community members out there today who are doing really well uh, in our online scene. And, uh, you know, they try different warbands. And then you have a couple, right, like that you favor. Um, but generally if you have a winning percentage with every other warband i think you're in a good spot or for most warbands um and then you mentioned in like season three you know like we kind of stopped because of the global pandemic but like i have i have very strong intentions of continuing where i left off when you know we're able to play again um and we might be really behind and we might never be able to catch up but i do have like my personal goal is to win a a, you know some sort of trophy whether it's a grand clash or a local trophy with every warband period um and i will be doing that or at least try you know moving forward when we can yeah i think i still will because it was like part of the reason i first did it um so when i fully did it it was partly also because i was a playtester at the time and i was like you know i need to prove 
to myself. Uh, that's why I kept doing it. And now I kind of, I really enjoy it because it's refreshing, especially when you lose. But you, it's the quickest way for me to learn the matchup because um, like I, it helps that I've basically got a photographic memory. But once I've played a warband, like I learn a lot by playing against it, but then I learn more by playing with it because I'll go, uh, as we've covered before, I'll know which fight I'd want to keep to help me score stuff and stuff like that. Because, you know, like the, it's kind of like muscle memory in a sense, but it, it's just, it's really enjoyable. It's like, it's tough. Like it's never going to be easy, but if you want to succeed, especially competitively as a Warhammer Underworlds player, or just... It will, it will improve your skills regardless. But if you want to be competitive and like start winning store tournaments and grand clashes, you, you need to play every warband. You just even if it's just uh, like online or like in a singular capacity, you like play them for a day with a few games. Where you don't have to play every warband for like months. You just you need to play them to have a feel because there's only so much looking at the cards and looking at them will get you. Yeah. But it's also just, I like how you said it's fun because it really is. Because, like, if you're a competitive minded player, you're going to buy everything, right? Yes. So, like, if you're going to have these models sitting around, you might as well make full use of your investment. And, like, I just find it in, like entertaining. Like, you know, like, I tried, like, one of my favorites was like winning with Iron Skulls boys. Like, in oh, Nightfall, yes. they weren't good at all. So, I was like racking my head on how to make them work. And yeah, I had some really good dice rolls, you know, through some of my games that helped carry the day. But, you know, like that was fun because every game was like, I walked in to every match and every game thinking I was going to lose because I'm playing Iron Skulls Boys. And I was like, how do I make it to where I can not only compete and, you know, stay relevant in the game, but also end up winning? And that was a lot of fun. Eyes of the Nine was really hard too. Um, But it's like, why are we playing this game to have fun? And like, yes, winning is fun and nice. Competing is fun and nice, but just playing the game and trying new things in the game and learning things in the game, I think is the most fun out of it all personally. And so I will admit I've had the most fun playing this game when I'm playing other war bands that I'm not comfortable with, because I know it's not only making me a better player, but it's also forcing me to think differently. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like, um, I like what gives me the most fun now is when, like, in all the games I stream and record, like my friends will basically be playing or have built like the warband they've been like slaving away at, like they've been playing for like weeks or months, and then I'm just using a new warband I haven't practiced with, like haven't played with at all. I've just built the deck and gone, yeah, I think this works, and like even if I lose, I still enjoy it because I'm like. I'm basically using my fundamentals to coast me through uh, whether I win or lose, but I'm like reacting as I learn. And it's just funny that like, even when they win, they're like, I tried really hard that game, John. And I was like, yeah, I know. It's like, uh, like I'm putting all this practice and like, we're just either beating you or like losing to you and you've done nothing. And I was like, yeah, it's like, not because, oh, I know everything about the game. It's, well, I mean, it is to an extent, but it's more like, it, it's just... I use that, like, it's really difficult to describe because people don't get it, but you can, like, learn the matchup as you play. So, like, that's one of the most fun I have when playing Underworld. Like, for example, I was playing against my friends, my Aries Purifiers, who'd been playing them for weeks, and I just busted out Kagwa's Ravages. 
And like the first game, he trounced me. And then I just kept reacting and adapting. And like, he just couldn't overcome that because I kept changing up how to play. Because I was like, okay, I know what I want to do with the Ravagers. And he expects me to do this because that's what I did in game one. Because I was just playing them how I thought they should. But now I'll play them a bit more smartly and a bit more conservatively and just know their strengths, but not go like full into it. I'll just be cautious instead of just running in because I know he can't kill me. And that's basically like, he like he wouldn't expect that because you can't really practice for that. You can't really practice for an opponent suddenly going, yeah, you know what? I technically should run in and charge you, but I'm going to hold back for a bit and just wait. It, it's That's something I picked up from playing tons of warbands because I knew the strengths and weaknesses of his while I was still learning the strengths and weaknesses of mine. So it will help you so much that we we can't really put into words, I think. Yeah, and I know it might sound like we're just talking about like how awesome we've won games and and whatever but it really it really just comes down to like it's fun to talk about those moments because we worked really hard for them because we oh, yeah. had to challenge ourselves by playing different things um and you know i see people like oh i don't want to buy this warband because you know it doesn't sound interesting to me and i respect that decision like if it's not interesting you don't but i think one of the fun parts of this game is trying to do things that you didn't think were possible and you know winning with maybe like you know a a warband that may not be good at the time and being able to demonstrate that a they're not as bad as people think they are b you've you've shown that you're a great player because you're almost playing with a handicap and like see that any warband can do well given like a good pilot and time and practice like i think for a long time everyone underestimated godsworn hunt and then like you gerard and tom showed everyone that they were actually pretty good you know, and I, yeah. and they think that like Garrick's Reavers didn't do very well in Night Vault, and then they won a Grand Clash. You know, so like that was cool. Um, Zarbag's Gits making a comeback in Beastgrave. You know, like that was also pretty neat. Like Farstriders doing really well in 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 some aspects of Beastgrave. Like who would have thought that a warband that came out in season one would be competing and and doing really well in certain major events online just from you know, in, in the third season, like that's crazy. And yeah. And I, oh, no, and right no. now, for example, Magor's fiends are doing really well in Direchasm, and they're a season one warband. you know? So. Yeah. It's like, I think the greatest strength of Underworlds is that it's a game that will challenge your ability to be comfortable and break that bubble. Because like, not only with just warbands, like for me, it forced me to go out to more events and travel around and like do all these crazy things crazy things I didn't do with other war games because I was like, you know, it's too much effort. I don't really want to do in that. It's like it it forced me to be more proactive and that just benefited me as a whole. And I think you can get a lot from that. And it's just like, as we said, like you will see people say like war bands are rubbish before, you know, they've even seen all the cards and stuff. But there's only so much going like, oh, you know, this can't do anything. There's only so much looking and writing stuff up just from looks and how you feel they've been played before will go you so far because as as Amon said there's been tons of older warbands that have risen to the surface again like I think the best example is probably Spike Claw Swarm it's a warband that has consistently like it'll dip away but then it'll always come back because someone will go you know I figured out something like that it's and it's not sometimes it's been people who've been playing these warbands for like forever but sometimes it's just players going you know I played this warband for a, a bit when it came out 
I've gone, I'm looking at the new season and I, I think there's something I can do with this older warband because I used to play them for a bit and I think there's something I can use to, not exploit, but I can play to my benefit with that warband in the new season. Yeah. No, I think that's probably one of the best and most successful ways I've seen happen is I think Spiteclaw Swarm did like one an event in Beastgrave and uh, an online event and it was just like, I actually, yeah, it was it was by Ollie from from steel city and i was just like i remember asking like were you playing these guys like recently he was like honestly like i just looked at some cards i thought it would work well and i gave it a shot and i saw some potential and i just kept refining it and refining it and refining it to a point where you know i was comfortable with it and you end up winning you know the whole thing it was pretty cool yeah uh, i think like to reflect on another win is so Near the end of Night Vault, it was just after the recent um, Forsaken and Restricted list. So the game was in a really balanced state, and I was looking at what to take to the Scottish Grand Clash. So I had analyzed all the games I had played, like mentally. And then I realized one thing like my friend introduced me to a playstyle I was like always on the fence about, where it's basically you just use Thorns of the Briar Queen to swarm people, and you score objectives by just swarming people and then like killing them and going on to objectives. And I saw that and I was like, I can make that work because I analyzed the meta because I was like, you know what? Everyone is kind of hugging the walls because of hidden uh, hidden paths. And like generally people aren't really caring too much about objectives. Like they'll just have one or like they're rarely running a distraction or going for the objectives. Everyone's about aggro. So I was like, it's really easy for me to like hidden paths, punish someone who hidden paths because everyone was running it. And then like using confusion to trap them in a corner and score free glory, four glory from surges just because I've trapped them in a corner, then inspire, then kill them, and then use that to like launch off to my opponent. And that was only because, yeah, the thorns are a very strong warband, but that was because I was like, I tried doing it with the gits first. And I'd gone, I think I'm using the wrong warband for this. And I think the best warband from what I've played before would be thorns because I think they exploit this facet of the meta, at least in the UK, the best, because it's punishing how people are playing the game, not what cards have been used. And like, I only made that decision because I'd played Thorns in the past, and I'd partly used that because when you play the Thorns, you need to inspire by being next to someone. So I'd learned that intrinsically as playing the Swarm, uh, playing the Thorns of the Briar Queen, I want to be next to someone to inspire. And that's how you yeah. can even if you've played a warband like months or years ago, you can go back to that using that experience to for that benefit in the mer- in the meta as the moment. Like a good example is how Molog's doing really well because all of a sudden he can really benefit from all these primacy cards in Diachasm to boost his strength and like speed to just get kills and racketeer off glory. Yeah, I like that word by the way, racketeer off glory. Very nice. Yes, I've been saving it for a while. I was trying to think how to tie it in with the Profiteers, but, you know, Molog just, he got it for me. Yeah. Molog does a lot of things. Yes. And even him, like, he's he's a really good example because um, he's a really unique warband, but he's one that's ebbed and flowed with power. Like, and you can only, like, especially Molog, trying to learn that matchup only doing it on paper will go so far because when you've got like the cool thing about Warhammer Underworlds as it evolves is warbands are becoming more and more unique. So it's getting really difficult as a player to just go, I can see how they play. I think I know the matchup. You really need to learn because 
warbands are becoming more flexible in terms of what they can do despite like even all these four fighter warbands coming out they are going to play very differently and like you can see that with the dread pageant and myoris purifiers they're four fighter warbands but they play so differently compared to everyone else you can't just look at them on paper and go yeah i know how to beat them yeah that's that's one of the actually their strengths and and it's a lot of fun to see that flexibility and and i think a lot of the success from the players who have been doing well with those warbands is because they've played other warbands in the past and so they've identified strategies and techniques that can maybe allow them to the new warbands to tap into and because of that you know because of that flexible nature you, you know they've done well and and again you only really get flexible by playing a lot of the uh the other stuff you know like one of the greatly i think really good warbands right now especially after the ravagers release and more primacy help is crushes right oh yeah and it's like it can it can be really hard to kill three five wound fighters with the potential for some of them to go up to six and um you know you have to figure out like do i even have to kill them or can i just like score without engagement and then from a crushes perspective it's like you know if you take a hard loss by someone who who beat you without really interacting with you, then it's like, how do I make sure that I can offset that in the future? So it's just always this constant evolution of you build a deck, someone counters something you were trying to do, then you build in a counterproof, and then, then you beat them, and then they put in a counterproof, and the meta slowly evolves like that. Um, and these cycles start, these, these strategies start recycling, and the way that you can stay on top of it is just by having that experience and those games played. Um, so whether you're playing one warband and you're playing against every other warband or you're playing all the warbands, either way, like there's going to be some benefit, I think, uh, which is, is obviously a lot of common sense, but you'd be surprised by how many people are like, yeah, I only really played one warband a season. Yeah, like it's it, it's the weirdest thing. I've, I've like, because, um, you know, you, you get people to buy everything and they're like, oh yeah, I just play one warband or I only played one warband for all of uh, Beastgrave. Like I only played Grimwatch and I'm like, I could get that, but it's just... You, you limit yourself a lot by that. It, even if you don't realize it, it will hurt you in the future as like for your growth as a player. Um, but it, it's like, because like one difficulty you can have when you go between warbands is just you pick something that's too similar or that's too different. But as I said, as we've said, it's just general, general fundamentals. And like, it, it, yeah, because like the game will always evolve but as long as you have your fundamentals and knowledge to build off of, you can adapt around that, even if you can't get as much practice in. Because like now, I I get very little practice in, but I still can adapt to the game quite quickly because I've played those. I played all the warbands, so it that's what helps benefit me, especially when it's quite difficult to get games now. Even though we have great online resources, it will help you in the future, just like repeatedly by enforcing your fundamentals for the game. I completely agree. Uh, very well said, you know, um, for lack of sounding like a, uh, like, a, like, I guess, re repetitive <laughs> or a parrot, uh, just, just keep playing and diversifying the way that you play the game. Um, whether it's different game modes, different war bands or setting time limits, um, you know, playing within, trying to finish a game in 30 minutes is also really hard, right? So yeah, how are you going to do that? And then play with a warband you may may not have a lot of comfortability with. 
and forcing yourself to finish a game in 30 minutes with a warband that you're new to can force you to make decisions that you'll learn from later on. Um, that's a lot of fun too. Yeah, I think a good example with that is um, Zarbag's Gits because like, we can make seven fighter warbands do a half-hour game, but with Zarbag's Gits, you've got those two extra fighters and all of a sudden you go, I know how tough it is to do 30 minutes with a seven fighter warband, but with nine, it's it's really tough because you have to be, you go into the game going, I know my boards are ready because I've figured out how I'm going to place the warband and you just get really efficient with how you place those fighters because like time management is its own thing. But it's like when you're trying new warbands, like as you said, I'm on, it's really good to focus on your timing with those new warbands as well because the biggest fall, like biggest pitfall I see with new players trying new warbands is like I think the best place to test new warbands is at tournaments because obviously you should play a few games with your friends to get comfortable with them. But like playing at tournaments is great. But then the issue is you get people who have like, they're still learning the warband and then they lose because of the clock. As in their first game, they go, okay, I've done this. And they, they haven't realized it's taken 50 minutes or 40 minutes to play a game. And then like they may have lost or won the first round and then they go on to quickly like lose the second game and it ends in a draw or they lose the second game and lose completely because you know time's gone on too fast. So I think bringing into t- like you should focus on the time limits, but that's something you should use to improve on yourself as you get more comfortable with that new warband. But I still think it's a great point to bring up. Yeah, I think trial by fire is is the way to do it, John. Um, a lot of the ways that I've learned, especially with Godsworn Hunt, is just yes. like getting my butt kicked in local events. Um, I've played three times with them. I've got second twice and I've got, you know, like fifth once. And it was just refining, refining, refining. I still haven't won a local event with them, but um, I think I will. And I look forward to the day that I will, but uh, it's a lot of fun, you know, like one of the games I I lost was I should have won. I got careless with the mischievous spirits and I was like, oh, I don't, it doesn't matter. Like you can just move it wherever. I'll just move it right here, whatever. Cause I, I was up by five glory and then my opponent, like looks at it and he's like oh i think i can win and i was like huh it's like the last activation last power step of the game i forget what he did but he scores five glory in the end phase and moves one of his Uh, guys on an objective and he wins on tiebreakers and i was just like oh my god you know well yeah but like that right there was like i was being careless i was being confident because i thought i had won and uh that's a lesson so moving forward i haven't made that lesson yet you know or the mistake yeah, like, again. Yeah, like for me, I think I'd taken the Gods One Hunt to like eight tournaments and it was the eighth one where they'd finally won. But it was like that thing where I'd finally played them so much I was like, you know what? These this warband lives or die by the lives or die by the dice. The only way I can keep up with the other warbands from what I've seen is I have to run two third end phase objectives. So first it was the um denial which almost won me the Grand Clash until it, like everyone realized, oh yeah, I just play around the Denial. And then I switched it for um, their Conquest. So if you reveal it, it's one glory, so it goes up to three. So basically running that with Superior Tactician. So generally you don't run two third end phase objectives because they brick so much. But I'd learned at that point, I have to play so risky with this Warband. That's the only way they can win. And it did pay off for me because once I switched it to their Oath of Conquest, I was consistently winning games because people are like, I can't stop you scoring three third, uh, two third end phase, two third end phase objectives. And it was like yeah. that surprise because everyone goes, 
at that time, no one was playing two-third end versus objectives because it would just brick out your deck. But the Godsworn Hunt could make it work because they could reliably score Conquest. And it's I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't played them. And like the rewarding thing I learned for them was sometimes you just like I generally play quite risky, even though it looks like I play quite consistently. But the Godsworn Hunt encouraged me in general to take more risks because yeah, you need to know what happens when the risk goes wrong. But they showed me if you can r- make the right risk, you can just keep winning. So, yeah. but yeah, as I said, I wouldn't have learned that if I didn't play them. Absolutely. But I think we've covered pretty much everything that can be covered for learning a new warband and playing different warbands, unless there's anything else you'd like to add them on. No, I, I, I think we have. I don't think there's any way that you can kind of like create like a step-by-step guide. Um, yeah. I think the short and the long and short of it is play more games. Yep. Um, but I hope that the anecdotes that we both share today do explain the benefits of trying new stuff and playing with multiple warbands because not only is it just a boatload of fun, but it's just also stretching your ability as a player. And I think everybody who plays this game would love to win a Grand Clash one day. Um, and you, the best way to do that is to by familiarizing yourself with everything and like getting that play down. And that's how you do it. Yeah, 100%. Um, because, yeah, it just, yeah, it just helps you so much. But yeah, I think that's pretty much it for the episode. Uh, thank you, Amon, for coming on because I, I literally don't think I would have been able to do this without you because of how difficult this subject is. Yeah, well, it's, it's an honor to be here and I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. Oh, no, it's an honor. You're the first uh, big name player. Just don't tell Derek. He'll get very upset because, you know, yeah, he, he could probably crush my skull with his rugby prowess. But. Yeah, it's an honor having you on. Um, <laughs> we can find you all on Path to Glory. And is there anything else we can catch you on? Uh, no, just Path to Glory podcast and uh, whether it's the blog or the the actual podcast. Yeah, because you're on Facebook and Twitter as well. So yeah, if you haven't, I highly recommend you following them all as well because you'll be in for a boatload of content. But yeah, that's it for this episode eight of CritCast, Learning Different Warbounds. I hope you've learned a lot from what we've said. And Yeah, it's goodbye from me and take care, everyone. Yeah, so keep rolling crits and stay safe. We'll see you around, guys.